People often think that this whole thing about buying and procurement versus sales, they have needs and they want someone to fulfill the needs. If you act effectively and you don't go in with a pitch at the front, and, and by the way, I come across so many people, I say, what do you want in the first meeting? Or we want to talk for five minutes and then demonstrate. As you said, no, just, just don't go anywhere near that. How can you demonstrate? Your product does a hundred things. Maybe they only need one of them. You know, yeah, so, so this whole idea of, of thinking, researching, then providing a service level would massively differentiate you in whatever space it is that you're operating in. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Jim Irving. Jim is an incredibly experienced big deal seller, experienced sales leader, consultant, and author of three books on selling, including his latest, the B2B Top Sales Tips Guidebook. It includes some of Jim's best ideas, as well as contributions from about 20 other well-known sales experts. In our conversation today, Jim shares some of the top sales tips from his book. In particular, we dive into an area that is a weak point for most sellers, which is pre-call preparation. We explore what sellers need to do to effectively prepare for a call. We also look at this from the perspective of the buyer, because one of the chapters in Jim's book was written by a former professional procurement person who spells out what they think sellers should do. They, as a professional procurement person, a buyer, think sellers should do to prepare for a meeting. We also dig deep into the buyer's journey, and I believe it's really essential for sellers to have a better understanding of what that buying journey looks like from the buyer's perspective. So we cover that for you as well. So all of this and much, much more. But before we get to Jim, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, I want to remind you to check out my latest book, Sell Without Selling Out, a guide to success on your own terms. It's a modern approach to creating the buying experiences that influence buyers to choose you without using the salesy behaviors that buyers hate. It's available everywhere you shop for books, online, and in stores. Okay, let's jump into it. Jim Irving, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me again. It's great Hi. to speak. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, I missed you when you you visited my hometown here in San Diego. Um, I unfortunately was out of town at that time. That's right. You were on the East Coast, I think, at that, at I was that on very the East time. Coast. Yeah. Right. I was very disappointed. I was hoping to catch up with you. But uh, it sounds like San Diego treated you well when you visited. San Diego was the nicest city we've been in in the U.S., full stop. There we go. Yeah. Please. Climate. Don't move here, but uh, yeah, come visit. <laughs> yeah. Climate, people, things to do, food, everything. It was yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It is nice. It is nice. Um, unfortunately, yeah, property prices are showing that <laughs> more people want to live here these days. So. Oh, oh really? Not yeah. so good. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. You know, good and the bad. So, well, good. Well, glad we had this chance to talk again. So, um, for people who maybe didn't hear the first conversation we had on the show, tell people about you and what you do. I have had a 46-year career, hardly dare say those words, in sales, 30 in the corporate world, all in technology, and now 16 uh, consulting and particularly helping startup and scaling companies. Mm -hmm. So in the tech world, I worked for Amdahl in the mainframe world, uh, Silicon Graphics, and a very big, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> 
enterprise software company called Information Builders out of New York. Right. I was their UK country manager. Um, and I've now worked with something like 40 startups uh, yeah. in the UK and in Northern Ireland and Ireland. So that's something that I find really stimulating. Uh, you know, some people have a great idea, but I've just left university and I have no idea at mm. all about the business world. Right. Other people have great ideas. A lot of people have the wrong idea. So that's that's always stimulating. And along the way, uh, I've written three books. Right. So we're going to talk about the third the third book in your series. We talked about the first yes. book in your series when you were here last time. So this one, the B2B Top Sales Tip Guidebook. Um, yes. Do you sort of plan to make these like into a series? Is that the whole point? Yes. Well, I started with one. And thankfully, my graphic designer knew more about the future than I did. And the design lent itself to a second and then to a third. Guess what? Three primary colors on the cover. So uh, so that's worked very nicely. One book in black, one in white, one in red. Um, but this third book is a very, very different beast. Um, I know well, yeah. that I reached out to you, but you were trying to launch your book at the time. Um, but I suddenly thought, I've got a lot of chapters that I want to cover, but I've made so many friends in this world of podcasts and coaching and thought leaders I would like to reach out, and I was quite astonished. I started by asking a couple of people if they would be interested in writing a chapter, and I lost my hands, hand both times. Mm. Um, you know, literally bitten off. And, and so the book now is 10 chapters from me and 26 from people around the world. Um, North Short America, chapters. Australia, Europe. Yeah, well, I was going to say, short chapter, so people don't seem intimidated that it seems like a really long book. It's not a yeah, really long yeah. book. Uh, it's, yeah, be consumed very, very quickly and very easily. Um, well, so a question is, is yeah, you're, you've written two complete books. You said you have some contribution here, but it's predominantly contributed by other people. What did you learn from your other contributors that was new to you or a surprise to you? Do you know what? There were several people. First of all, it's a great mix of people. Some are, are well-known names, uh, you know, from North America, people mm. like Larry Levine, Pat Tinney. Um, others are just, just in inverted commas, salespeople who've got one fantastic idea. And so it's a, it's a real mix. Um, but I learned so much from those, those different people. Um, and some of it was also a reinforcement. I know the last time we talked, we, talk about, we, we talked about how sales has been changing and what the world is like today mm -hmm. as compared with when we were both in the field. Um, one of the writers, um, Alison Edgar from the UK, wrote about the customer journey right. and how you shouldn't follow the sales journey, you should follow the customer journey. Now, I don't know about you, but that really caught my attention. Why? Because for the last few years, I have seen a real move to sales process is everything. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, I, I want to talk about Alison's chapter later on because, um, yeah, I'm not sure I really agreed with what she wrote, but... But, uh, <laughs> but she is, yes, I understand what you're saying. Everyone had their own editorial freedom and wrote what they wanted. Oh, yeah. But... yeah that's, well, I think that was good. I mean, I think I... I like the premise of saying, look, you know, let's expose lots of other people's ideas out there because, you know, one thing's I, I, as much as I enjoy, you know, putting content on LinkedIn and interacting with people on LinkedIn and so on, 
is there is, you know, this group of people and yeah, fairly large group and who believe that, yeah, there's a certain way to do things and, uh-huh. and they want to criticize people for things that, you know, they don't agree with. And I'm like, well, I, for me, <laughs> if there are, let's just say 5 million salespeople in the world, there are 5 million unique ways of selling. Absolutely. So who's who's to say what you think is is best is best? I mean, it's so categorically, right? Because I think that everybody is is a mix of the influences that they've been exposed to, the books they've read, podcasts they listen to, people they speak with. And yeah, so I'm, as I I may disagree with her, but I mean, she's certainly entitled to that that opinion. It may work. Yeah, I just had a different view, but I think that's the the beauty of yeah, surfacing as you did in a, in a book is these new voices that have new perspectives on things. Yes, yes, and 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 you know what what that did for me was to reinforce for the last eighteen months, every time that I've been on um, a webinar and I've done a few large scale ones, or teaching a group of people for the first time. Right. One of the things that I ask is, what's your sales process? Everyone right. goes, oh, we've got a seven-step process. We've got a five-step. We've got this. Oh, how do you manage it? Oh, we've got HubSpot. We've got this. Great. And then after it's died down, I say to them, how often do you ask your prospects what their buying process is? And almost every time, there's silence. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I I have a concern about our profession generally in that way, in that there seems to be a big move towards process, towards AI, towards dividing up the the sales roles. And I'm concerned that we're forgetting about how people want to buy to some extent. I I agree. So I would phrase it slightly, slightly differently. Okay. Is is yeah? I take everything that you talked about, which is absolutely true, but I put it under a heading, which is yeah. You know, there's an increase, and this is not brand new. This has been going on for yeah, let's say about part of two decades, but I think becoming more pronounced is there's a trend toward conformity. Yes, yes, and yeah. and yeah, we want yes. It's the emphasis on process. It's the emphasis on method. It's the emphasis on, you know, specific set of metrics and we want people to conform and comply. And so instead of, well, so what we're doing in essence, I, I believe is we're, we're, and this is sort of the, you know, Hey, that's the dream of many managers. It's like, I want to create this process. That's this machine yes. and yes. the salespeople are interchangeable cogs in the machine. And if something yep. burns out or wears out, hey, we discard them. We bring somebody else in that just can conform to what we're doing. Yes. And I think the data is showing us that buyers reject that. <laughs> and <laughs> and what really they're looking for is they're looking for somebody who's different, right? Yes. Someone who absolutely, yeah, right. And and so this, for me, I've settled on the word conformity. Yeah. as as the the danger and yeah, unfortunately it sort of mirrors you know societal trends toward conformity at least in the united states yeah it is yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot of what we're seeing on the political front and you know judicial rulings that are coming down are, are all about you know, having people conform to a certain norm as opposed to yes. instead of recognizing individuality and differentiation 
Yes. Well, do you know what? I, I, I saw the trend as you do, uh, and at the, the sharp end of that trend, you see the um, auto-dialer, 100 calls a day, don't prep, just pitch, that side mm. of things, mm-hmm. um, which kills me, I have to say. Um, but I thought, I'm going to try and do something about this. So I went out and I spoke to four current procurement directors, and I have to say, they're in violent agreement with what you said. I, you know, I, they're, they're all senior. And I said, how do you think about this change towards automation, standardization, demonstrate first, no question? How do you feel about that? And in different words, but some very Anglo-Saxon, mm? the answer was, they. it's not that they didn't like it, they hated it. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's, and it's, it's funny, you know, it, there's this idea that's being propagated by some analyst firms and so on is that our, they're saying our research says that buyers no longer want to talk to sellers. Yeah. And it's like, no, that's just not the case. Well, yes, on one level, that's true. Buyers never want to talk to sellers, but yes. they need to talk to sellers uh, for the reasons is, yeah, sellers help them educate themselves about what the, their challenges are and what the outcomes they can achieve and you know what they can yeah. make out of this investment. They, But if you're a seller who, to your point, you just said, you just show up and throw up and show up and talk about your product, yeah, they don't have time for you. Yeah, But yeah. they're still they, looking they, for that assistance. Yes, that's right. And that's not changed since the 70s, 80s, 90s, where salespeople offer value and want to understand the prospect and want to know what they can do to help, and by the way, are willing to walk away if there isn't a match, then you start to get a balance and a mutual respect. Mm? If you come up and say, our thing's perfect, and it's the answer to whatever questions you might have had, then who would want to engage? At a human level, I would say, go away, because right. that's not what I want. Yeah, yeah. well, and, and so this, this idea that I started talking about before is this, we don't, in sales, we shouldn't want to have everybody be interchangeable is what we should be doing is training and enabling sellers to be the difference, right? And yeah, you've been in tech forever. Um, Me roughly, (laughs) roughly forever. And, (laughs) and what we both have seen, and this has not really changed a lot throughout the course of our careers. Maybe that's, quantity is different but you know in every market segment if you get a lot of competitors selling similar type products in the mind's eye of the buyer they're all the same yes and yep. if that's the case and if the perceived and actual differences between the products are are razor thin what's the difference yes. the difference with the tiebreaker the tiebreaker is the seller Yes, yeah, yeah. So so this idea that we want to make everybody conform and be alike is what leads us to the situation we're in, where in so many companies they're dealing with these low win rates. Yes. Because the salespeople can't differentiate themselves in the eyes of the buyer. Yes. And and to my mind, a big element of that is are you pitching a product or are you or are you asking questions mm-hmm. and then delivering potential value? You know, if you're talking about value and that relates to the problem or the challenge or the project, in all likelihood, you're going to get interest in a conversation. Yeah. If you're pitching 
Uh, yeah. Well, so there's a book that was published, I don't know, end of 2021, or is it end of 2020? I, anyway, within the last year or so, uh, Dr. Stephen Tim, T-I-M-M-E, and his co-author, Melody, who I apologize, last name I'm, I'm missing um, right now. And they had all this research about, from buyer's perspective, about dealing with sellers. And one yeah. of the findings they had that you know, stands out is that 77% of, of key decision makers said that sellers showed up <laughs> only prepared to talk about their products, not yes. the customer's problems. Yes, yes. So that's you know, one data point. 75, yeah. 75 three quarters of, of key decision makers saying, yeah, B2B sellers show up and all they want to do is talk about their product. Yeah. yeah and there was yeah. another from a recent book called Strikingly Different Selling, uh, by Jennifer Colosimo and some others from the Franklin Covey organization, uh, extensive research and surveys. And one of the things that stood out is that in the B2B world, is, and this was like 14, almost 15,000 buyers they surveyed. Oh. 42%, or they said that 42% of sellers, let's assume it's just half, right? 42%, yeah. half of sellers were indistinguishable from one from the other. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. So think and, about that. This is, this is, this is, so that you look at the way enablement happens in many companies is, you know, under the direction of, of what the, the sales plan is and the culture is, yeah, let's everybody conform to this norm. Yes. So everybody's virtually indistinguishable in the eyes of the buyer. Well, how do you stand out in that environment? Yes, yeah, yeah. So, so to that point, um, if you've read the book, there's a great chapter from a guy called Mark Schenkius. Mm -hmm. He's from Holland. He's become a friend in the last little while. Um, and he was a, a senior buyer for Mars Europe right. for 17 years. And mm -hmm. so we, I was going to do a big webinar to a professional body. And he and I were talking because I was talking about making proposals and presentations and presentation sessions more effective. So I called him and we chatted. He told me something which was quite staggering. He said he was in his role buying, you know, buildings, vehicle fleets, everything for 17 years. And not once did he get a phone call when people had got through to the final shortlist and presentation day was coming up. Not once did anybody ever ask what do you want to get out of this presentation and how do you want to spend your time? It's like, and I nearly fell off my chair when he said that. And I thought, my goodness. So that shows you how far we've got and how, to, to your point of differentiation, doing that thing would make you one out of 17 years. Oh, absolutely. Right. It's, and this is, yeah, I wrote a lot about this in my, my book, Sell Without Selling Out. Absolutely. This, this is, this is the key in sales is that, you as the seller, you are the difference. Yes. Not your product, not your company. Ultimately, it's you. And yeah, this is a message that, yeah, it's, it's been true forever. <laughs> this is not yes. new. And, yeah. and there's been this idea that somehow we can eliminate what I call the laws of relationship physics and human <laughs> physics, how humans get along, that somehow technology has superseded all of that and it hasn't. Uh, in fact, if you use technology correctly, it, it helps accentuate your differences in a way to help you close more deals. Yes, it can do. Yeah. So, unfortunately, 
it's not how it's being deployed. But um, and, and I think part of it, and this, I think it's part of the reason why I was reacting to the Alison Edgar chapter about the buying journey is that it's just the way she laid out. It's just too complicated, right? Too many steps. Uh, eight steps. Get, yeah, eight yeah. steps, yeah. right? And what we knew, yeah. I think. <laughs> We just need to make it simpler for everybody. So yeah. really understand. See, I, I think there's three steps in a buying process. You know, very yep. easy to people remember. It's the what, the how, and the who. Yes. The what stage. What are our challenges? What are the potential outcomes we can achieve by addressing our challenges? This is, this is, this is the first stage the buyer goes through. And unfortunately, yep. sellers come to this stage and they're pitching their products. Yes. Yes. Well, yes. Selling your product has no value to the buyer when they're investigating and trying to learn about their problems and the outcomes they can achieve. Yeah. There's a serious imbalance between the selling and the buying stage. Yeah. And if so, you're trying to do that when they're still thinking about it, you're at the wrong place. Right. So the second stage is the how stage. We define the what, right? Here's our challenge with our input from sellers. They've done a good job. We've helped define our, our challenge. We've defined the potential outcomes that come. Okay, now how can we achieve those? So now the buyer wants to learn about products and services that can help them. Yes. yes. And the third Together. stage is the third stage is who. See, yes. the third order decision in the buying process is who you're gonna buy from. Yes. It's and unfortunately sellers approach this challenge thinking this is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. They need to choose yes. me. Well no, they, yes. you want them to choose you, sure, but that's the least important consideration they have at this point. Yes. And going back to your earlier point, if you've not differentiated, if you've not got into a, a genuine human to human conversation, and if you're not able to start to lay out the potential value, how are they going to make that decision? They're in no. all likelihood going to make it on price or whatever, and you're into that spiral. Or not make a decision at all. Yes, yes. Yeah. Biggest competitor. <laughs> right. Biggest competitor. So... You know, the, the dream world is if you're, unfortunately, a dream world. You know, if you're a sales manager, is you should be thinking, asking your buyer, here are sellers, excuse me, when you're doing like pipeline reviews, it should be really simple. What stage are they in? Are they in the what stage, the how stage, or the who stage? Yes, yes. Doesn't matter if they're discovery, who cares? That's not a stage. That's just, that's something that happens throughout the selling cycle. Your qualification, sure, you still need to do it, but where does it happen? Does it happen just once? No, it happens actually multiple yeah. times during a selling yeah. process. And so instead of looking at the world through this idea of this linear stage-based selling process, just ask your seller, so what phase is the buyer in? Yes. Yeah. Makes it very simple. And then you're aligned with what the buyer's doing. Yes. And my bet, my bet would be, and I don't know what you're thinking is, that the majority of people wouldn't know the answer to that question. <laughs> like, well, yeah, that's, that yeah. is part of the problem as well. Because we're in the sales process and now we're at step three. So this is what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which has, yeah. I think, and I've said this before, is I, I think that until we start, we as sales professionals, managers, as leaders, start, uh, denominating our sales stages in alignment with the buyer stages, meaning yes. they're the same, we're using the same terminology. Because yeah. buyers don't think about it as discovery and qualification and a lot of, of places they don't. Right? It's so all about we, 
project initiation uh, analysis. Right. What are we trying to achieve? The KPIs. That's the language they're talking. Right. While we're and, talking discovery. Yeah. As so I can tell, we use the same language. Yes. Yep. We're gonna have this this problem. We're just yeah you know, disconnected in a way that that impacts results ultimately. Yes. Yeah. And of course, the beginning of that. I touched on this in our first conversation, but the beginning of that for me is this whole principle of research. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the pieces of education I have to do with people is to say, look, you need to know, oh, no, no, we'll do 100 calls a day, some of them will stick and we'll go from there. No, find out who they are, find out their sector, understand what the problems might be, and then you've got a better chance. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I don't know how you're finding it in the US, Andy, but today, today, I have had a sales trainer on LinkedIn telling me I should sign up with them for sales training. Oh, yeah. No, I... I yeah. I have had I, someone trying to tell Jim Irving, who is a semi-retired one-man business and author, that they'd like to talk to me about a vehicle fleet. <laughs> you know, it's this is, not, this is not research of the sort of 10-hour level. This is, no. who am I going to talk to? Or of the Harvey McKay, yeah, need to know 99 bits of information about my my prospect level either. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I was just having a conversation with somebody yesterday, the recording episode uh, with a gentleman named Jim Duffy, who's this cold calling expert. And, right. Uh, yeah, really interesting. But for, yeah, for him, you know, research was everything. Yes. And, and he's figured out a process to help him, um, you know, uncover the data he needs to, find out about the buyer so he can, in his case, a very specific sort of target audience that he has, but he's really niched it down. And yes. he's got a you know smaller list of people that he's trying to get to because he's niched it down. But when he speaks to them, he's incredibly relevant. Yes. Everybody could do that. If we weren't so obsessed with making 100 dials. Um, Everybody, yes. Yeah. You could yeah. do that. You could say, because I, mean, I, this is a trade-off that, and I think this is, is part of an issue that, sales leaders need to think about is just because technology enables you to be able to do something doesn't mean that you should. Yes. yes. Just because you can make, you know, use a power dialer and make hundred calls a day. doesn't mean you should. Yes, right. Yes. Is, is, and I think the part that I find is missing is like, and this is, uh, talking to Jim Duffy yesterday is, you know, sort of directly in line with this is that learn how to make, one call that's really effective <laughs> before you try to make 50 <laughs> that are ineffective, right? Uh, yeah. Learn what, make 10 until you yield, you know, two meetings out of 10 calls. And then it's say, okay, that's, that's pretty good. So now what do I have to do to make yield four meetings out of 20 calls or five yeah. meetings out of 20 calls? Is why do we accept these ratios? Because again, people aren't doing the research. And it shows because then when they have the conversation, it's so superficial. They're not able to connect at a real level with human level with the prospect. And oh, well, yes, I'm going to go to the next one. Absolutely. And, and to give you, um, what would you call it, a 180 from that, one of the best companies that I ever worked for in my corporate career was a, a U.S. company out of Portland called Sequent. Oh, yeah, and, Sequent, yeah. yeah they, we used to play a game. Imagine this in today's environment. So you're going out with your sales manager and you're going to three meetings in the day. The, and the sales manager would surreptitiously, surreptitiously measure 
how long it was before from the introductions until you mentioned Sequent or the product. Mm -hmm. We had meetings where we never got to talking about what we did, but the customer thought it was a fantastic meeting because someone was listening, someone, someone was engaging, someone was saying, oh, what does that mean to you? What sort mm -hmm. of challenges does that give you? Mm -hmm. And they were opening up about their world, their problems, the projects and trouble, whatever it might be. And they ended up thinking we were good people and we hadn't mm -hmm. done anything at all. Well, you had though. You'd ask great questions and you listened. Yes, yes. And so to your point about differentiation, that's a massive differentiator today. Oh, I think more so today, yeah. If yes, you're willing yeah, to, definitely. to go that level. And yeah, for sellers, you have to, you have to it's your path. And this is again, yes. what I talk about in my book, it's your path, it's your career. No one cares about it as much as you do. You can conform if you want to conform but that's not the path to a fulfilling sales career, not the path probably even to a successful sales career in most cases, mm -hmm. uh, unless you're selling something completely transactional, then sure. But yeah, yeah. But there are things you can do that set you apart that aren't big things. Uh, research, you talk about as one of them. Um, yeah, I mean, being responsive is another. I tell a story about a client mm -hmm. I had once, a software, pretty big size software company, and they were looking for a, uh, oh, they need uh, an application to manage inbound resume submission because they're in a high growth okay. mode. They're getting all these solicited, unsolicited uh, resumes. And so their, well, their senior VPs spent the weekend, came in the office, researched firms, discovered some that had, you know, system that could help them, SaaS systems that could help them. And he, oh, I think he had identified 12 and narrowed down to three, sent email to all three via their, <laughs> their uh, their website, you know, submission, and it gave his name, title, said we've researched your firm, want to buy from you, or you know, want to consider buying from you. Do you yeah, yeah. Need, yeah. seemingly. And then within a week, none of the three had responded. Yes, yes, yeah. Now that's that that is a fantastic example of something that I've coined a phrase. You know, you and I are both good at having phrases for things. Um, I've called it service-led selling. And when I, when I was able, and when I was working for a smaller vendor against a giant, we thought our product was better, we thought we could do this, but it was the service that we gave mm -hmm. and the responsiveness that made them think, we like these guys and we're not so happy with the big name. And, and that won me a couple, that principle alone, won me a couple of gigantic deals. Oh, me too. I mean, it was, because I was working for startups selling really large, complex systems against all the tech giants of the day. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, including also the other people, you know, in the company that interact with the, the buyer. Yeah, as individuals, we were the difference. Yes. Um, yeah. And so the things I could control, and I, I learned this lesson early, early in my career. It's like, I don't know why, it, it hit me, maybe because I was selling against IBM like you did early in your career. Yes, yes. <laughs> and they were sort of the default decision, right? The, well, they, were, they were Apple, Google, and everyone else put together at the right. time. They were, yeah, yeah, 70, 80% market share, right? That's in a right. way that we can't, we can't comprehend. So, um, sorry, I was just reaching for my dog that was scratching behind me. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully people didn't hear that uh, too much. Um, but I, 
knew there were certain things I could control. I, yeah, I obviously couldn't yeah. control IBM. I couldn't control my product set, my pricing, the features. I could control the actions I took. Yes. And lo and behold, that made a huge difference. Yes. And it Being worked out very well for me right? too. <laughs> I, was, yeah. I could control how quickly I wanted to respond. How com And more than quick, it was how complete I was in my response. Yes. And I learned that if I could be complete and quick, then, wow, I was going to stand out. And that's, yeah. this was, didn't matter what I was selling at that time, you know, $100,000 computer systems, which, you know, half million dollar systems today, or I was selling, yeah, multiple million dollar systems. It was yeah. that actions that I could take, that I controlled, that was sort of my brand to the buyer, right? It's my yes. brand promise to the buyer as a seller that, yeah, my sales brand was, has to be responsive. Yes. And that had the effect of helping them get their job done more quickly. Yes, yeah. You know, people often think that this whole thing about buying and procurement versus sales, they have needs and they want someone to fulfill the needs. Mm -hmm. If you act effectively and you don't go in with a pitch at the front, and, and by the way, I come across so many people, I say, what do you want in the first meeting? Oh, we want to talk for five minutes and then demonstrate. As you said... No, just, just don't go anywhere near that. How can you demonstrate your product does a hundred things? Maybe they only need one of them. Right. You know? Yeah, so so this whole idea of, of thinking, researching, then providing a service level would massively differentiate you in whatever space it is that you're operating in. Yeah, and I, I, and I want people to start thinking about this as, yeah, I know people sort of burn down this topic like personal brand, but as a seller... What's what's the what should the customer's expectation be of of dealing with you, right? Mm -hmm. What should their expectations be of, you know, their interactions with you and how you can help them get their job done? What's well, that's really the equivalent of a brand promise you're making, yes, right? Yes. And that differentiates you. Mm -hmm. it, lean, it, lean into it. Yeah, it absolutely does, and and it, and it makes such a simple difference. And of course, in my career, like yours, I was UKMD for a big American software company. I was buying office property. I was buying mm -hmm. fleet rental. And people would just come in and they would, of course, the worst of all, about us. Mm. 20 minutes later, you're going, please just let this end. I want to get to what I want to talk about. And know, know what you want. How do you want to cover this? No Q&A, just here's our thing. I know. Yes. We were, we were, I mean, in the tech world, it's all, yeah, I used to joke, it's all the, every presentation you hear from, you know, startup was, you know, we're founded in, the equivalent of we were founded in a garage. Yes. And it's like, yeah, okay, great. I mean, there's limited interest in that, I'm sure. I mean, origin stories are, are can be interesting, but to your point, not 20 minutes. And besides, yeah. I looked you up before you came in anyway. I already knew that. Exactly. If you're at that point where you're presenting to senior people, you don't need to spend much time because they know who you are and they've had their team look at it and everything else. I always start with, here's what I understand the situation is from mm. the meetings that I've had. Can you tell me if I'm in the right place? Mm. And they go, oh, you've got that dead on, but you're a bit off there. This is the reality. Oh, thank you. Yep. And what we're here for today is to try and achieve one, two and three, is, right. by the way, with an agenda sent a few days before. Oh, that's good. Yep. And then, then you move into the conversation. Right. And, and 
posing it that way, as opposed to, and this is this is something you know, people listening to this. If you're <laughs> if you're an individual contributor and you're bringing in your immediate manager or a more senior uh, person, you have to coach them. Yes. Don't yeah. don't let them come in and say so. Tell me what your problems are. Or, you know, tell us. <laughs> this because you see this. So I have a I have a rule of thumb. Rule of thumb yeah. is your chances of winning a particular piece of business are in inverse proportion to the number of times you ask the customer to tell you their story or their problems. Yes, yes. Yep. And by the way, I think you and I are on the same page probably, but I would have to say that one of the biggest deals of my career, um, we were up against a giant, we were smaller, we had our one opportunity, and of course, three ultra-senior people came in and we met for dinner the night before and in the lobby of their hotel, I took a very deep breath and said, by the way, before we have dinner, you all need to understand what your roles are and what you can and can't say. Right. And then I thought, am I going to get fired? And the most senior one said, why does nobody ever ask that? Because we want to do what's right for you. Right. Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Occasionally. You have a senior yes, executive that yeah. wants to come in and hog the limelight and because they want to be able to go back and say, yeah, I really, I closed that deal or I saved yeah, that yeah. deal. Or like, <laughs> sure, there's, you can get the egos involved. But yeah, by yeah. and large, you set, you set it like that. You set the tone. You set the expectations. Unless they're an asshole, they'll comply. So yeah, and they're always, and I, always those people. But yeah, and I found I found that 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 worked very well for me. I, th I think we've sort of meandered a bit off the uh, the lessons from the book here. But these uh, lessons must be in the book somewhere, I'm sure. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, Jim, tell people more about the book and where they can get it. Yeah, the B two B Sales Top Tips Guidebook is available on Amazon worldwide as a paperback and as an ebook from pretty well every. Uh, outlet that you can think of. Perfect. And um, people want to connect with you. Best way, LinkedIn. Best way, LinkedIn. And I was in LinkedIn. I got. I went into LinkedIn right at the beginning. No complications. LinkedIn stroke Jim Irving. And if you want to do a search, the nearest big city to me is Belfast, and I'll pop up and and we're off. All right. Perfect. Well, Jim, pleasure as always to talk with you. And uh, yeah, we're gonna have to get you back to San Diego. Oh, oh I, we both have decided we're coming back to San okay. Diego. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll coordinate our schedules better the next time. So, all right, Jim, thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Jim Irving, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.